Occasionally, myself and our coaching staff at DadStartingOver.com, we run into a client who has issues that go beyond the scope of coaching. They may have really severe anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, and this is the point where our coaches stop and say, have you spoken to a therapist? What a lot of these men say is, I've looked into it, not a lot of options in my area, it can't work with my schedule, or I have an appointment schedule, but I can't get in for another four months. In other words, the need is there. They recognize the need. They see the value in the therapy, but the options for getting the therapy are extremely limited in their area. Well, thanks to our friends at BetterHelp.com, there is an option for you. BetterHelp is a unique service that allows you to talk to a licensed therapist from your area via your telephone or your computer. You can do voice chat with them if you wish. You can email back and forth. You can text with them all on your time schedule, all from the convenience of your phone or your computer. So check it out at betterhelp.com slash DSO. That's betterhelp.com slash DSO and get 10% off your first month of service with BetterHelp. Hello everyone, DSO here from dadstartingover.com. And before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to get a couple of pieces of business out of the way. Number one, I sell books. You can find my books at dadstartingover.com slash books. The books include my bestseller, The Dead Bedroom Fix. My second book is called Now What? A Guide for Men Starting Over in Life After Infidelity, Breakup, and Divorce. And my third and final book is called Red Flags. You can buy these all directly from my website and download directly from my website, or you can go to any of the major retailers. Second piece of business is that I have a members-only part of my website called the DSO Fraternity. With the DSO Fraternity, you have access to all of my books in PDF and audio format. You also get access to members-only articles and audio, and you are free to discuss those articles with fellow members on the website. And we also have DSO Fraternity live meetings via Zoom. In these live meetings, you are free to share your story and listen to advice from others. And on occasion, we will have a special guest, such as author Dr. Robert Glover of No More Mr. Nice Guy. So please check out the DSO Fraternity at dadstartingover.com join. Thank you so much, and on to the episode. Thomas. Let's talk about you first and what brought you to the world of dad starting over. How did you find out about my website and all that good stuff? So I had an interesting story when it comes to the coming across the book. Uh, I would say several months prior to me finding the book, I was actually turning things around in my relationship. Me and my wife were on the what I would say upswing of our relationship. And so it wasn't that I was out actively looking for a book of this nature, even though audible and Facebook seem to think I am all the time. Uh, (laughs) So I get, I get a lot of advertisements in that general genre of, of issues or self-help but I was, I just recently downloaded Audible and I was looking for some books to read and either through my search or through a recommendation based off some of my searches, the dead bedroom fix came up and I thought, okay, that looks interesting. I'll, I'll go ahead and grab that. 
and knowing really nothing about yourself or the book, I went ahead and, and downloaded the book just because it, it the, the title is, is kind of catchy. I think for anybody that's currently going to that situation or has gone to that situation. So I, I downloaded the audible book and, and listened to it uh, over the next several days. And the more I, I listened to it, the more I realized how similar the approach was in my approach after months of what well, I'm going to say even more than months. I mean, this is not something that, that we, we start doing once things really hit the fan. I think this is, you know, the mistakes that are pointed out are things that we start doing well in advance. Uh, even before I think we may even see issues in the marriage is, is we start to get comfortable and, in that comfort, we start to <clears throat> lose that maybe aggressive approach towards getting what we want in the relationship or that leadership that we had going into relationships. But I noticed, you know, after reading your book, I could look back and think this didn't start with problems. This maybe was what started the problems. And, you know, it's a little things like going out of your way to do this or, or do that and becoming more of a provider role. I think it's just kind of natural once you get into a marriage for so many years, you get comfortable. And sometimes the attitude is because you're married, you're married, that that bedroom lifestyle, that that intimacy is supposed to take a kind of a, a back seat to everything else in life and it's just not the case and I think after reading your book I thought you know I, I really thought I was kind of the exception to the norm <laughs> when I I just woke up one day and you know just as a turn of phrase woke up one day and it, it started with the conversation with my mom and that's when I think we've spoke before when I told you that I was talking to my mom about some of the issues that was going on and how I was feeling. And she just told me that I needed to get my balls back and quit acting like a bitch. <laughs> and I thought, well, she's, she's, I mean, if anybody was to say it, 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 she would be the one that would give me the, probably the best advice when it comes to that. Cause a lot of your friends aren't going to say that. Uh, and you're not going to find that type of, uh, directive in I think majority of the self-help books that mm -hmm. you have. And I've, I've read a few as I was going through the issues. One of them was love languages. And I think it's a very interesting book in itself, but when it comes to trying to pinpoint the language, I was just like, I'm lost. I can't find, well, I don't know <laughs> what language she's speaking. I, I'm trying all of them. So I'm not fluent in this nonsense. And, you know, there's always something you can take away, but I think it was reading your book, realizing that, okay, I'm not the exception to the rule. I just don't think people are being told this. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I reached out or looked you up online and, and tried to find more books that you'd wrote. And once I found your website and realized that I could read 
your books for free by joining the fraternity. I thought, well, even if I joined for a month, it's a, it's a win-win. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and I joined for a month, read your books, uh, was able to jump in on a meeting. And here we are today. Excellent. Excellent. And before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's talk about what brought you to this point? Because I think everyone that hears your story will say, wow, that's an interesting story. It is not usual, normal by any stretch of the imagination. Everybody has their own little unique life story, but man, yours is unique. Um, let's start at the beginning. High school. You had uh, quite the interesting high school experience. Can you tell us more there? Yes, I did. Um yeah, and that's something that I think really sets people back, uh, not in a bad way, but when I start talking to them about where I am now versus where I was, mm-hmm. it's it's something that really gives people a double take because I say it, it rolls off my tongue because it's something I've been talking about for <laughs> years. But in, uh, in my junior year, I had my first child. That was my oldest, my daughter. Wow. And our relationship between myself and her mom was very, very, very brief. Uh, so, you know, I'll leave it at that, but let's, you know, there was no actual relationship in itself. We wasn't dating. We, we wasn't, uh, really even friends up to that point. It was just one of those things that happen Mm -hmm. as your kids and you're having fun. So Uh, a, a lot of key guys that are sexually active in high school, our biggest number one fear is accidentally knocking up your girlfriend and you lived it out. You had the oops moment. Yeah. That wasn't, I mean, I hate to say it, but my lack of responsibility, that was the last thing on my mind. Yeah. So, um, and it shows because a year later I had another one and damn, I was a, I was a senior in high school. I got, uh, who I, I met who would be my, my first wife <clears throat> and she got pregnant my senior year. She was a sophomore at the time. So we had my second kid. And at that time, my first kid was unbeknownst to myself. I wasn't made aware that she was my kid. Oh, everybody oh, really. Okay. Yeah. Everybody knew that she was pregnant, but you know, without speaking ill, there was a good possibility mm-hmm. of multiple uh, fathers. I see. So, um, and she just didn't, you know, at that time she didn't take the steps to try and, and identify who it was. Uh, and, and it's not like it was crazy numbers or anything like, yeah. So I'm, again, I'm not speaking ill. We were kids in high school. It's just uh, a fact. It could have been more than one. Right. Right. So, absolutely. Well, let me stop you there. So first thing that comes to mind is a guy who knocked up a couple of different girls in high school is, well, this guy is maybe trouble. Um, were you kind of a troubled kid? Were you kind of a free spirit? Were you a difficult kid to wrangle? Yeah, you can. That's that's putting it lightly or kindly, <laughs> I would say. Um, by that time, after I had my, my son in high school, I, I really changed my attitude a lot. But prior to then, I had multiple arrests on my record, some serious offenses. Um, you know, God bless my mom, but I can... I can tell a quick story about her being in the stands at our homecoming game. And if you're familiar with homecoming, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's the first 
or one of the first home games for the football team at, at our high school. Mm-hmm. And she said she can remember looking out across the field at the visitor section and there was just, just this big commotion and the cops were all running over that way and they were dragging some some kid out in handcuffs because he uh, he assaulted an, another kid with a weapon and she was like, oh my Lord, what is going on over there? And short shortly after that, she was told it was me. So <laughs> she got to she got to watch me get dragged out of homecoming. And uh, you know, unfortunately, it was kind of business as usual for her. She got up and met me at the police department, and we <laughs> took wow. care of business and went from there. So uh, I hear I hear you mentioning mom a lot, but I don't hear mention of dad. Was dad not in the picture? No, and I, and I think that's common with a lot of people in my situation. I was yeah. raised by my mom, uh, my dad was around, but he was not around. Mm-hmm. So he, he just, he's, he's someone that was invested in his own vices and that, that took control. His, his demons took control of his life. And to an extent they, they still do. If not physically, at least mentally, they they've clouded his ability to realize that there was fault on his part throughout his yeah. life. And so uh, you know, that's where that was. And I had three sisters, no brothers. So <laughs> pretty, uh, very estrogen pretty heavy yeah. Yeah. <laughs> household. Absolutely. Did your mom remarry? Was there ever a, a paternal figure growing up there? Uh, she had a pretty stable boyfriend for most of, of my time through school. And, you know, that was pretty rocky itself. But around about the time I was graduating, she met who is her husband now. And he's been he's been a really good, good guy. Very, very good for her. Good. That's for sure. So in general, anybody looking in from the outside could say there's a troubled kid who's really acting out. Do you think your acting out was solely as a response to. I need a dad figure. I need somebody to rein me in. Were there other issues going on there? How could, in looking back, can you say exactly what was going on? I think I can point to the fact that I just needed some sort of validation or attention that you normally get. I think when you have a dad, you're out playing sports, you're getting the, you know, the, the camaraderie mm-hmm. of, of a fatherly figure. Well, you know, whatever that entails is different for everybody. Some people play sports. Some people go hunting with their dad. Uh, I didn't. And I think I was a very small, like, uh, kid growing up. So I think when I joined the military, I was 125 pounds at, at oh, wow. damn near six foot. Uh, so I was pretty scrawny. I got bullied and picked on a lot growing up. So, you know, there was always that resentment there. And mm-hmm. I was quick to mm-hmm. quick to swing first for that simply because of my size. It, it was one of those things where I'm not, mm. I'm not waiting around to get hit. <laughs> so, uh, sure. and, um, yeah, so I think so. I think it was kind of more of a validation of trying yeah. to just impress people maybe sure. because I didn't have, you know, that, that figure in my life. And as you know, boy, that's common, but the guys that we talk to, um, I recently wrote an article that's up on the website saying the top 10 things that I hear from men during my coaching sessions. And the number one is, while my wife had a really horrible childhood. And number two is I didn't have a father figure. Um, I hear it again and again and again. And it's not often though, to be honest, that I hear it 
manifest itself in terms of, wow, I was a real problem child and I got in trouble with the law quite often. Usually it's the men kind of slide towards um, super nice guy behavior, over emotional, over empathetic, codependent type of behavior. And they often form um, almost like a, a crude term is an emotional incest, incestual relationship with mom, where they become like a surrogate spouse to mom, where mom right. just dumps on them everything emotionally. Mom, you know, complains about dad to them. Mom complains about basically everything. And the kid learns to walk on eggshells around women, be there for them, be there emotionally. And uh, that uh, does a lot to form how they approach their relationships with women in the future. Yeah, I think what helped me out in that regard was, one, my mom had to pick up all the financial slack in the household. Uh, so she was working all the time. So she was kind of absentee herself, not by her own fault, but just because financially she had to be working all the time. So, uh, you know, did I, did I step up and help out? Yeah, but not because she asked so much because she wasn't there. Someone had to. Yeah. And, uh, with that though, she also started to instill a very good work ethic in myself and, she was never someone to complain about her environment. She just took it head on and, and did what needed to be done. And looking back, I think that's part of the drive that helped get me to where I am now was I never heard my mom complain. Mm -hmm. Did she get mad at my dad? Yeah, but that was usually when she was uh, addressing him and she would specifically address him and his, his faults. And then that was it. She didn't bring it home. She didn't you know, sit around and, and pout about it, at least not openly, I'm sure behind doors when everybody was asleep, she had her moments. We all do. Mm. Uh, but she was, she was very good at, at just kind of keeping that to herself and, and just well, good. not giving up. So good for mom, that that's awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> Sounds like she was a great influence in that, in that regard. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to, okay. You accidentally knocked up a, a gal at school, not in a serious relationship by any means that whoopsie, but you didn't find out till later that the child she had was yours. And then you did get into a, I would assume a more serious girlfriend, boyfriend relationship as a senior in high school and another oops. Uh, when is, when does the military enter the picture right after high school graduation? No. So I had no intentions on joining the military and I got out, I graduated early from high school um, and started working in a, a factory uh, when I was 17, my soon-to-be wife at the time, but girlfriend at the time, that was still finishing high school. So I would work about 12 hours at night, come home, watch my son uh, while she went to school, and then I'd sleep for a couple hours and do it all over again to try and wow. uh, provide for us. But again, that was the kind of the expectation. I, I seen my mom do it, so why would I not do yeah. it? Yeah. And uh but a friend of mine, uh, a really good childhood childhood friend of mine was looking to join the Marines and he was a little overweight and we decided to to kind of start working out, get him in shape, get him ready. And I was a part of that. And I started going with him to the recruiter's office and uh, long story short, they talked me into taking what's called the ASVAB and that's the, mm -hmm. the test to get into the military. Uh, and I scored really, really, really high on the ASVAB. So on the way home, they pretty much told me anything I wanted in the military was mine. 
And I said, yeah, I'll take a look. Still not really interested, but I'll take a look. And then we had another, and that was when I was 22. By that point, I was 22. And we found out that my soon-to-be wife was pregnant with our second child. And at the same time, that's when I found out about my first child. I got a nice letter in the mail saying I needed to show up and oh, give a wow. paternity test. It was that far. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So it was about four years, five years. Oof. And uh, so around about the same time frame, I, I went from having one son to, to one son and two daughters. And at that point, I looked in the mirror and, and pretty much said, if I don't do something now, this is this is my life. Mm-hmm. And I made made the decision without telling anybody, not even my my girlfriend at the time, soon to be wife, that I was joining the military. I signed, got my date, which was about a couple months out. And then after that, I came home and told everybody that, hey, I got about two months and I'm out. And wow. uh, and how did she take the news of the uh, newly discovered child? I would say it really had really looking back. I don't know if it really affected her much. I'm I'm sure it did, but we we were pretty well involved there was no real issues going on and i think at that point what i mean you can't you can't take it back so uh i don't recall (laughs) it being too big of an issue although that that was probably just blindness on my part Mm -hmm. uh there was probably a lot of issues and i just don't remember them yeah Uh, but i mean it, it you know we we started getting visitation with with her and she was accepted into the family pretty well. I don't recall any animosity in the beginning towards my, uh, my girlfriend and, and mm-hmm. my oldest daughter. I don't, don't recall any of that looking back. So, so big yeah, family, I, big family at a very early age. Yes. And, yes. And military. Oh my goodness. This is just well, that was my more stressful. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's uh, for a lot of guys, as I'm sure you learned, Everyone has their own little story in the military. My dad was military, so I know what his story was. He joined up, uh, lied about his age, went to Vietnam, one of those guys. Um, so everybody has their own little, uh, little, yeah, little story to, to tell what brought them there. I had to get a waiver because yeah. I had too many kids. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, okay, so off to the military you go, off to boot camp, I assume somewhere out of state. Yes, and take the girlfriend with you how does that work no we actually because of basic training uh of course the family can't go for that that duration of the time but in between basic training and my military schooling um there was some visitation we decided to get married then so we had a, a really quick wedding at the justice of the peace in the state that i was in basic training at that way we can get her on the, on the books per se and get her insurance, get the kids insurance and get settled. So when I did get to my, my first duty station, uh, all that was done and, and she could, we could start, you know, reaping the benefits of the, the family that is provided by the military, military housing and, mm-hmm. and such. So once I got to my first duty station, that's when they came and, and joined me. But we, that was about a month. And then I, I got to spend about 13 months 
in the sandbox right after up to Iraq or yeah, I was, I went, I went to Iraq for 13 months, about a month wow. after I got out of all the schooling. So Oof. we had about a, a month to get settled into the, where we were living mm-hmm. and I took a trip overseas and that's when my marriage unbeknownst to me started falling apart, but I didn't find out till several years later. So unbeknownst to you falling apart, does that, am I reading between the lines here? Was there another person or? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was your typical Jody. Yeah. What do they call yeah. it? Yeah. And for those people yeah. that don't know, Jody is the very common, is the name given to the very common person who has relations with, <clears throat> excuse me, relations with your wife or girlfriend while you work on the guy, your woman is cheating with. It's, it's such a yes. common thing for guys that are stationed overseas that they give it a name and that is Jody. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I don't know where Jody came from. I, hell, I don't either. Uh, but it, it gets, it's a term that's so common. It gets thrown about with really little animosity whatsoever. It's, it's almost like a norm. Someone will tell you, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you're, your wife's probably hanging out with Jody and you're like, yeah, yeah, probably whatever. (laughs) And so, So, well, I could see from her perspective, um, brand new marriage, all the stress involved with that two kids, two little kids. And then you find out that there's a third that you have part-time custody of. I'm just curious while you were gone, was she seeing that child, the other child from the other woman? No, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, Maybe when they, when they went home, I'm sure there was some visitation, but I don't think there was an attempt to get her over there while I was gone. I wouldn't think so. And so I, I, I would assume she brought all of her own baggage to the relationship <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and looking back on it, probably, you know, a high school girl gets knocked up and runs off and, and, Mary's at such a young age, there's, there's bound to be some issues going on there. And um, she brought that to your marriage and you found out her way of coping with a husband being sent off to Iraq was to jump into the arms of another. And so that marriage ended, I would assume relatively quickly. Well, once I, once I find out or found out, and then, like I said, I didn't find, find out until several years later. Oh, okay. so there was some, there was some infighting, you know, between those few years, we, we kind of separated, got back together, separated. And even after I, I found out there was an attempt at me to reconcile, but that reconciliation was more based on getting my kid back in the house. than it was like mentally I was done with her, mm-hmm. but I was willing to make an agreement of, having her in my life as long as the kids were in my life. So, uh, and you can only imagine that was not a recipe that was going to last for a a long time and it didn't. So we made it, I got out of the military about seven years later, you know, in total seven years, uh, was at the time stationed in Texas, stayed in Texas. She was in Indiana I asked if she and the kids wanted to come down. We'll try and work things out. They did. Um, We made it less than a year before she, I I was at work. She loaded up the the truck with Mm. randoms 
and the kids and took off to Indiana. And then I, I filed for divorce in Texas. And that's, that was the start of my first divorce. And that started the whole process of winning the at least partial custody of the children. Yeah. So after I would say almost $20,000 later, a very, very good case on my, on my side, a really good attorney and a judge who just didn't care one way or the other, I think had his mind made up going in that mom's going to get the kids and we're going to leave it at that. I was given everything that I had in my possession, which was everything minus, you know, whatever she could load in the truck. And she was given everything in her possession to include the kids, I guess, since they at the time was in her possession. And that was the weirdest, like separation of, of assets and such that I think I've ever heard before and since then. Like there was no divvying, okay, the kids get all their stuff. I mean, I had all her stuff. And based on the the language of his uh, verdict, I, I guess is what it's called, uh, it was now mine. So hmm, there was no thought put into that whatsoever. Retirement, any of that was brought in. It was just whatever you have. You have whatever she has, she has, she's got the kids, you pay child support, get out of the courtroom. <laughs> okay. Wow. They just wanted they wanted it quick, dirty, get out of here if we have more important things to deal with. Yeah, pretty much. And you know, I, I remember looking at my attorney and and my attorney, that's when she told me she's she said, I really thought we'd we were gonna win, but he had his mind made up before we yeah. ever walked in there. And that's when I started and that's that is a moment when I told myself, okay, I will get these kids mm. one way or another. And that's when I started doing some of the steps that, that I'm outlining in my, my book. And you kind of talk on in a different aspect was looking at myself and saying, I've got to make me a better me. So mm-hmm. uh, from that point there over the course of the next eight years, I invested my time in learning the law going to school. My income went from barely over minimum wage to it's, it's, it's doing really, really well. So I could afford the, the attorneys and I just kept going at it, going at it. And within four years of that day, I went from not having custody of any of my kids to having custody of all three of my kids. Wow. Custody meaning they're with you and only you? Uh, the moms got to see them like during summer and oh, wow. every other Christmas because I was, there was a separation of distance at that time. I lived in Texas and at the time and still their moms lived in Indiana. So the moment I got primary custody, it, unless I guess they moved close enough to me, that was the only realistic way to separate that visitation out. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, good for you. But that is, as we both know, that's not the norm, is it? No. And, you know, a big part of that is I think because one, even my behavior, at least initially going in was the expectation was said I wasn't going to get the kids. And I think a lot of times once that first ruling is returned, 
guys just kind of settle in. Yeah. And, and they, they make that the new norm and, and run with it. And I, I just wasn't going to settle for that. Um, if I did not win custody of my kids when I did, I would have still been fighting up to, well, March of this year when my, my youngest daughter turned 18. Mm-hmm. I, 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 we still would have been, would have been wow. going back, I think, to court. And that caused a lot of problems with the relationship that I'm, you know, my marriage now. Again, so you did remarry. Yes, I did. I actually, I met my wife whom I'm married to now during the, my verbal separation with, with my wife before she packed up her truck and took off to Indiana. I was, we were kind of separated in a sense. I was on the couch. She mm-hmm. was in the room and we'd already talked or spoke to an attorney. There was supposed to be some, some paperwork being drawn up and we were going to, you know, go about it in a more cordial way. Yeah, that was <laughs> sure we were. Uh, <laughs> and so I started seeing someone. And I think when the, the soon to be ex found out that I was seeing someone, vindictiveness came came out came out Mm -hmm. strong and that's that's when she grabbed all the stuff and took off Mm -hmm. and how did you meet the now wife i was working as a federal security officer and she came into uh social security office and i met her when she came into social security office and i was working so i stayed professional but uh, long story short, I knew the next time I seen her, I was going to, I was going to approach her and I seen her at a Walmart. No. And <laughs> so I said, Hey, <laughs> remember me on the, the guy at the social security office. In and, hindsight, uh, was the timing of this way too soon, just about right. I think so. You, you got to separate that into two different aspects. The timing was right in regards to if there's a good possibility that if I hadn't met her when I did, I would still be struggling through a very, very bad marriage. It was almost like the, oh, okay. the extra push I needed yeah. to, to, yeah. to hold my ground. Uh, even though we were going through the process, it's easy to look back and say, would we have, or would we have found an excuse to just keep driving on and the same old, same old. Mm-hmm. And, so the timing was right there. I think it allowed me to, to emotionally separate from that. But in terms of our marriage, you know, I think it would have been better for us had we had it been on different terms. You know, yeah. it, it's yeah. still that, that, that always plays a part Absolutely. coming into it when you look back at how you, you first built that relationship. Well, there's the old adage of how do you get over a woman? And the joke is you get, <laughs> you, you get under 10 more. And right. there, there, I mean, there's, there's something to that, isn't there? Which is when you get that validation and whatever other emotional, physical needs you have from this other human, suddenly the other one that you're in the process of leaving seems a lot less attractive than what they did before. And that attachment, detachment happens. It's a, you are physically, emotionally addicted and attached to the other person. That is until the next drug comes along and you're like, hmm, 
maybe I'm not so addicted after all. And my own personal story, which I've shared before, is that I met my now wife less than a year after the breakup from my first. And in looking back, though, I will admit, yeah, that was way too soon. Um, but, I, prob- I probably should have waited another year, year and a half, and then started dating, you know, get that me time in, the time for reflection, introspection, working on myself. So my now wife was there through all that process. And she saw some emotional things that maybe I'm not so proud of. I totally understand that I'm a human being. You go through those things. But um, so, so our marriage is colored by that initial stage of here's how we met each other. And yeah. she was also uh, fresh out of a divorce as well. And she also admits that, yeah, maybe I wasn't quite ready just because the divorce is, it's a tough thing. I don't care how tough of an alpha male you are. You're attached to a person for years. It's like they're a limb on your body. And then suddenly that goes away. It's a traumatic experience. And a lot of us get over that by unfortunately or fortunately, however it works out, jumping over to another one and getting a replacement arm, replacement limb right away. Yeah, it's that it's that comfort level that you know. I, I think you you said it well, and it, it goes with the. It's just that comfort level that keeps guys, I think, continuing on in, in, in something that they would normally not not deal with. And then when you do find someone else, whether it be long term or, or very short term, you get that comfort level somewhere else. And it allows you to kind of let go of the, you know, the, the other comfort. And unfortunately for a lot of guys, that initial comfort that they, they shift over to is not going to stick around for the, yeah, it's, it's it's not the long-term fix or the solution. And then it just starts to unravel and, you know, you see it going from bad to worse because of the desperate attempts to, to reclaim that that comfort because they didn't allow themselves to just move away from it and and be happy with themselves yeah and they don't know how to live with themselves one of the most common things i hear and anybody in this business here is, is um people jumping right to what they call the rebound person mm-hmm. and that rebound person is magical at first everything is wonderful those early puppy love, new relationship energy, whatever you want to call it. And then years go by and then that comfort and familiarity sets in. And then the, the rose colored glasses start coming off a little bit at a time. And then you realize for a lot of guys and gals, Oh, Holy shit. This person is just like my ex. (laughs) (laughs) So did you see any similarities? I don't want to speak ill of your now wife, but have you seen any, any red flags or anything that makes you go, man, now years down the line, I, I can see some issues here that I'm going to have to deal with or that I am dealing with. Yes. And to add to that, though, I think my ignorance at the time, I wouldn't have recognized those those red flags, regardless mm-hmm. of the amount of time that that I gave. But between the two, I think it would have definitely been healthier for us had there been a gap of time uh, and we didn't, we didn't marry right away, but it was, you know, about a year later, almost similar to your story about a year later 
that we did marry. But I can sit here now and look back and think there were some areas in both of our history that neither of us had a chance to really sit back and, and digest and say, is this something I'm going to want to deal with, you know, years down the road? And if so, we, we never sat down and said, hey, let's, let's talk about this because this is going to be uh, a potential problem down the road. And, and, you know, look at from my, my wife's point of view now is she, she married someone who wasn't technically divorced when she met him. So yeah. that's a red flag on her side as well mm-hmm. that i i know creeps up when it you know that to me that would that would be a trust issue i think that yeah. could easily uh creep into her mind especially with all the travel i've done over the last decade and uh so yeah you know i think it, it's something mm-hmm. that we both didn't take enough time and it haunts us it it's shown itself in, in our relationship but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that's part of a relationship sure. Now, I will say in my defense, I met my wife just under a year after my uh, split from the first wife, but we waited, we were together for a good three and a half years before we uh, got hitched. And in that time, that was when I started going through, well, becoming, <laughs> it sounds like I'm t- t- turning into a superhero or something, becoming the DSO that we know now, where writing and thinking and, and starting the website right. and, all, and all that other stuff. That's That three and a half years there was me basically putting her through the ringer. Are you crazy or not? And that was kind of gotcha. the theme. And it was yeah. a, um, it was a little overt at times where sometimes she would say or do something and I do the, okay, time out. What was that about? Let's talk about that. And sometimes she would have the eye roll of, <clears throat> you know, I know what you're getting at here and no, <laughs> let me, ex- let me explain myself here. And I think there was a time or two where she says, it always feels like that. I'm, I'm, uh, always, um, being studied, I think is what she said or something. I yeah. remember my response at the time was, well, good. It keeps you on your toes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we just laughed it off, but uh, she was right. It was, there was this constant state of, um, uh Oh, what was that? I just heard. Um, you know, she just snapped at me for no reason. All right, here's the deal. You're never going to talk to me like that again, or else we can go our separate ways. Understand. And maybe some of those instances were a little knee jerky on my part. And I should have maybe taken it at more of a lighthearted tone, but at the time and still admit to this day, I'm pretty serious when it comes to that kind of stuff, maybe a little too serious at times, but that's me. And that's from what I've been through. um, I think I can afford to be a little too serious at times, but so you married to wife number two, um, sounds like you had some issues intimacy wise and so forth. And then you kind of threw your hands up and said, you know what? Enough of this nice guy horse shit. We're going to try things differently. Well, I would say um, the the funny thing about that is I think we we both kind of point the finger at each other when it comes to that, the intimacy issue. And it's, it's always kind of a, a head turn. It's like, wait a minute, you're, you're accusing me of not being involved and she's like well yeah you just you didn't seem interested and i was like well okay i kind of felt the same way to you and and maybe it was combination of of both where 
neither of us were putting forth the effort and just assuming the other person wasn't interested. And again, there, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of our relationship has been living apart. Uh, <clears throat> the first, we talk about the honeymoon phase and that that's usually like short term, you know, six months, maybe a year before the honeymoon phase kind of starts to fade away and reality starts slapping people in the face. But we were separated for so much of our relationship. And I think you can kind of speak to this, that our honeymoon phase was kind of extended mm -hmm. simply because we only got to see each other for brief amounts of time. I, I got a really good job in Arizona and she stayed in Texas with the kids, which speaks to her dedication to our relationship yeah. that while I was in Arizona working, she was in Texas doing the visitation and taking care of the kids and, and, and that, uh, and as impressive as that is, that hurt us too, because she then became, you know, she was doing the, the work of the stepmom, but not getting necessarily the reward of the husband yeah. <laughs> with it. Yeah. Uh, and, but we, we made it the best we could. She would drive up to Arizona a, a lot to see me or I would come home. Uh, and then, you know, throughout the years, it was just, it, it even when we lived together, my job required me to, to travel a lot. So I was gone for week here, week there, weeks here, week mm -hmm. here. And, uh, that's after I got custody of my kid. So she was at home being the, the mom and I was out traveling and, and making something of myself. And I think I just got off the, the train of thought or the, the question that you asked no, no, me, it fine. was more around yeah. intimacy, but, uh, I mean, but you're, I you're, painting the, is, you're painting the picture here, which is in her side of the story is, Oh my gosh. The woman's a saint. <laughs> She's right. staying behind and taking care of. I mean, these aren't her children. That at least two of them, and maybe the 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 third, if uh, he or she ever comes around. Um, yeah, we had custody of her too. Oh wow! Uh, so, like I said, I I yeah, got custody okay. of all three of them. Oh, you did? Okay, around so, about the same time. So they all okay. three. I missed that. Uh, okay. And then she had her her daughter. Um, wow. Coming into the relationship, so we had four kids, and but when we did see each other. It was like the honeymoon phase all over. Again. Yeah, it's an event. The intimacy yeah. was great. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we but what what we were able to do uh, was to sweep all of our issues under the rug because we're not going to spend the weekend fighting. You know, and it's it's instead of taking time to say, "Hey, this is kind of bothering me." It's like, well, I don't want to bring that up. He just mm -hmm. got home, or I just got mm -hmm. home, and so and the so, issue, you know, issue being the kids thing is that the issue that was just kind of the elephant in the room that was overlooked again and again is that she's way overwhelmed with the whole kids thing. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, that's part of it, but the travel, the not seeing each other, I mean, just everything that comes into mm -hmm. the relationship. It could be as simple as me not putting the toilet seat down when I'm home, where if I was home every day, eventually she's going to say, Hey, asshole, get in there and put the toilet seat down. <laughs> what are you a beast over here. Uh, but those problems never brought, they were never brought up because it's just not worth 
the headache. So I, I think, you know, it, what it did is it allowed us to avoid the, the normal confrontations that a lot of relationships deal with immediately because they're, they're together all the time. You eventually have to, or, or, well, I mean, I would, like you don't, <laughs> you I, don't. I, I, I would contend that's not necessarily a bad thing. Is it? Um, some of I've known some relationships where the people are perpetually apart, you know, due to work usually, and they're married and they're committed to each other, but they only see each other part-time and man, mm-hmm. those relationships, they, they tend to work really well. Um, they, they tend to always maintain that level of passion. And when they see each other, it's an event. It's what are we going to do next? It's fun. And they both maintain their independence. And there's obviously a lot of trust that has to be involved there, but from the handful of people that I know that do that, um, they tend to have that type of relationship that a lot of people, um, strive for a passionate one. And I think, you yeah, guys- and I think that was, I think that was us. Yeah. Uh, you know, I really do. I'm, and, and, but when I stopped traveling, it all came to a forefront mm-hmm. because now I'm home every day. Her schedule is no longer her schedule. Cause I'm starting to creep in yep. on it. Obviously I'm home and it's, you know, her way of doing things and, and how it's been done over the last 10 years is starting to erode because now all of a sudden you're home and, and you're doing it this way and you're doing it that way. And so I think once my travel slowed dramatically or to a sense came to a halt for long periods at a time, that's when our problems started to creep up. And uh, we never built that, that communication ability to talk about those problems. It just, instead of being a, a cordial conversation it it just would blow up into an argument because we we just let things kind of build up and build up well you could do that because eventually the one of us is going to leave and you'd like thank god he's out of here you know (laughs) and i'm on the plane thinking oh thank god give me a break well you know we never got to vent that that steam until Mm -hmm. it just kind of boom and then it's like man we're kind of arguing about some silly stuff Yeah, yeah but how many years did you do that uh dating part-time relationship where you were traveling so often so we we knew each other for about a year before we got married so as soon as i went to arizona we ended up getting married uh so we were married for the entirety of that but i did it for about well let's see nine years wow okay yeah yeah so that became very ingrained in your, uh, well, your whole way of life. I mean, at that point, as a man, typically men really strive for their independence. You know, they don't, they don't like it when the women nag and they want to do things their way. And that kind of sets in. I would think that would be a major shock to the system to be suddenly under one roof, not 24-7 necessarily, but, you know, seven days a week with one right. person. Was that a major shock for you? Yes, and, and that, I think, was my downfall because i was used to that that brief like flash of of intimacy that would take place when i got back from traveling and in the brief of time we brief times we'd see each other but then slowly that as i started staying home more 
you kind of settled down a little bit and, and, and by no means was, was the intimacy gone? Did we, did we have a dead bedroom? But it, it, it almost felt like I still had that need to always be around her. Uh, cause that's what we would do. We would, I'd come home and we'd just spend all of our time together because gotcha, we'd never gotcha. seen each other. Well, mm-hmm. four months of doing that, you would think you'd get sick of each other. And well, I never did for some reason. And I think she did. And mm-hmm. eventually it, you know, it, it was like, I just need a break. And, uh, you know, she chose to, to take that break by kind of stepping, you know, out of the house and, and saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to go live with a friend for a little while. And to me, it was like, no, you're not. That's not how this shit works. And, you know, there was a lot of fighting mm-hmm. that led to that. And then paperwork gets served. And, and that was, just kind of steamrolled yeah yeah i mean i think it just steamrolled yeah really really fast and it was just because both of us were pushing each other's buttons Mm -hmm. trying to get what we wanted or get the other person to listen and it just wasn't happening so in looking back on that time period of where you were kind of sounds like the pursuer let's or hyper attached individual of yes why why aren't we spending every day do you look back on that and say that was a very needy time oh yeah yeah absolutely and where do you think where, where did that come from? I mean, if you want to go back, back like deep seated childhood issues, or if, if you pinpointed like where did that extreme neediness come from, how it manifested itself. Yeah, I think it's just who I am. And, and a lot of that, of course, I think does come back to just how I was raised and, and what I, you know, what I felt like I needed at the time. And I'm just one of those guys, you know, Never had a lot of friends growing up, of course, mm-hmm. don't really have a lot of friends now, although the ones I do are, are really, really good friends. They just don't live in the area. So we spend about a week, at least a week a year, we get together and and, and just spend time touching, touching base. And, and we usually go out to uh, New Mexico, El Paso area for for about a week, there's a military event that gets held every March oh, cool. that we do. Mm-hmm. And so we spend about a week doing that. And that's really about the extent of, of time I get to spend with the, the boys, I guess you would say. Yeah. Uh, but I've never really needed that. So, I, you know, I, let me, let me step back. I did need that. I just never really knew I needed that. And that's something that I quickly had to learn uh, over that, you know, the last year or so I started looking like, you need to learn how not to always be around someone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that helped, helped a lot. So I could see the, the, oh, the dichotomy there. I don't know if that's the right word, the push pull of here you are away at work, Mr. Independent. And then you're back with the wife and you love that feeling of the interconnectedness and then away you go, but you, you enjoy your, your independence too. And you enjoy your man time, however rare that is. But at the same time, you enjoy your alone time. I, I, I can certainly relate to all of that. Absolutely. Um, I think I've shared on here before on the podcast. And now I have an articles and so forth that uh, my wife and I now have the relationship that you're describing that you had for nine odd years with your wife, the separation. Um, my wife works down in Texas where you're at. And I live here in Kentucky. And we have this. This is our house here in Kentucky. This is our home base. 
and we go back and forth. And she is now in Kentucky, or excuse me, in Texas for this week. And then um, I will go down to Texas and be there for four days, come back up here. And then she comes up here for seven days and then another five day break. And then we've been doing this for, well, the entirety of our relationship. When we first started dating, there was a two hour drive between us. Um, And then that carried off into after the dating period, after we got married, we've always been a flight away from each other. And that, that has its negatives for sure. Just the, logistics of being a married couple you never quite feel like you're all the way there you know this guy can just call on his wife and say let's go do lunch i can't necessarily do that this guy can say can you go pick up the kids i i can't break away from my meeting i can't do that i'm very much mr mom here now at the house for a big part of the time (laughs) i'm cooking cleaning taking care of three kids Uh, but when her and i get together it's very much an event just like what you described and it's still very passionate after knowing each other for seven years and um, being married for two, three of those, whatever it's been now. <clears throat> and um, so we're still very much in that honeymoon stage, if you will. Um, we, yeah. have had, we have had moments of extended time off where we've been together for 30 days straight, 40 days, and still we maintain that. But I am very, uh, very independent person, probably more so than she is. And I enjoy my alone time. And during those, even where we're together for a week straight, I'll be like, yeah, I'm going to go do my own thing here for a bit. I'm going to go play guitar. I'm going to go to the gym for a walk, whatever it may be. And uh, I think over the years, she has grown to appreciate that. Yeah, he needs his little space every now and then. He, uh, I'm not the type that enjoys being smothered. Um, maybe I used to be needier when I was younger, but now not so much kind of grown out of that, so to speak. Um, which brings me to my next thing I wanted to mention. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever told you this before, but you do have a wiser, older man vibe about you. And when we first spoke, I think on the fraternity, I assumed, and this is not an offensive thing by any means. It's not how it's intended. I assumed you're a man of advanced age, maybe 60 some years old you just carry yourself as a guy who's been there, done that, and you have this life wisdom about you, which is what attracted me to you. Um, but you are how old? I am 41. <clears throat> wow. I think a lot of people would be surprised at that. People that have on the fraternity meetings that have been talking to you, you're, you're younger than I am. I got some years on you. Um, right. That surprises me. Uh, have you ever been told that before, that you have this air about you? I have. I've. Uh, I've heard it often. I've heard it a lot. And, and I've hear, you know, I've, I've had people come up to me, uh, asking, you know, like advice and, and that's, that's kind of why I, I really enjoy doing what I do is because I've, I've kind of done it in the past. People tend to kind of, uh, gravitate towards me when they, they, they need help mm-hmm. with something or, whatever the case may be. And I, I think maybe that's just because I started my adulthood so young mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I'm sure that's, that plays a, a part of it, but thank you. Yeah, and that's a, a big part of it. Obviously you kind of hit the ground running at an early age where some of us were off doing keg parties and being stupid and stuff. You're like, nope, it's time <laughs> yeah. for me to play the part of adult. I'm going to the military. I got kids and what's this? Another kid I didn't know about. And I'm like, holy shit, dude. But I was doing my cake parties at 14. (laughs) (laughs) You just had a jump start on everybody. You just shifted things a good five years. 
So, yeah. um, but I mean, another way of looking at this is you've been through some shit. And if there's ever been a person that I've throughout my life, guys that I gravitate towards that I really look up to and say, man, that guy's been there and done that. At first, you don't know it, but as you get to know them and as you hear their story and you get closer to them, you realize this guy has been through some shit. And it's always those guys that have been through some shit and they come out smelling good on the other end. Those are the most interesting guys. Those are the ones I gravitate towards. I love hearing their stories that bring a wisdom about them. It could be a guy that had, you know, I was a heroin addict for 10 years. You're like, what? You? Yep. Yeah. They went to rehab, yeah. did this and that. I was in prison. What? Yep. Yep. Robbed a liquor store, you know, whatever it may be. <laughs> and these I'm just like, holy crap, never in a million years would I think you. Um, but uh that's part of that that wisdom thing. And all those hyper successful guys that I know in business and so forth, they all went broke. They all lost a marriage somewhere along the way. Um they all had to learn their lessons the hard way. The you know, these super successful guys that we all know in business, the Jeff Bezos and so forth of the world. Um, you, what you don't see is the him eating, you know, bologna and probably cereal and, and scraping pennies out of his couch so he can make it those type of uh, periods in their life. And, right, uh, no, you don't. Uh, all, all of us dudes that have been there, done that, it, it ain't easy. And we've all had those moments. And, uh, you know, I've been broke. I've been dead broke. Um, especially right after divorce. Holy crap. That's a, uh, that's a pretty scary moment. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, you know, finding out like you and I did that your spouse is running off with somebody else. Talk about a traumatic thing. Again, I don't care how tough you are. That's, that's tough for any man to, uh, to find out kind of shakes your world. Um, especially in my case, in case for a lot of guys, after you have so many kids with them and your, yeah. whole, your whole world's been upturned. So I think that's the secret sauce. That's what we bring to the table and which is a good lead into next segment. I want to talk about how I've brought you on board to help out guys in our DSO, the dad starting over community. And you are hosting now some live DSO fraternity meetings on a variety of different topics. And I think they're wonderful. I don't get a chance to uh, join in all of them, but I do listen to them. And I mean, they're, you were tailor-made for this, which is guys sit down, let's talk about this. Let's work out some issues. It takes a certain disposition, a certain personality to do that. And you have that in spades. And so any guy who is new to the fraternity or looking into it, please join up and look out for those zoom meetings that are hosted by it shows up as TH Stevens or Thomas, same guy. And in addition to that, you are also offering your services to our members and non-members for that matter. Anybody could book you if they go on the website, but it's a lot cheaper for DSO fraternity members to book you in a one-on-one session. And you will chat with them for an hour or so about issues and bring your perspective to the table, which I think is super valuable. So any guy looking to, uh, I was going through what you've been through, the divorce, the custody, kids, making a marriage work growing distant, whatever it may be, by all means, look up Thomas, book an hour with him. And I'm sure uh, you will get a lot out of it. So, so thank you for joining the team. Appreciate it a great deal. I'm very excited about, uh, about having you and Jack on board. And let's see if we can possibly get some, some other guys as well. What's your been experience so far in all of this? You've been at it for a few months now. So my, my experience is just, I'm, I'm floored by the, effort that guys are willing to put forth 
to make things work. That's something that I really, I don't think you, society has that look that to me, it just seems like guys are just, they'll just up and, and leave. They'll take off. And I just, I just don't see that in these, these groups are, are full of passionate guys that, that just want to fix what's broken. They just don't know how. And a lot of these people, you, you can easily look at and say, dude, why don't you just leave, get the hell out of there. Mm. And it's just not in them. They want, they, they just want to try and fix it. And, you know, unfortunately, oftentimes you just can't, and that's yeah. a realization they got to come to, but I'm floored by the, by the passion and devotion with, with talking to some of these guys. And it's, it, it's really uplifting to see some of their success stories as well. It is, it's uplifting, but there's a fine line, isn't there between the guy who is, you know, doing what he's supposed to do, quote unquote, and, and sticking to his vows and saying, this is a hiccup in life, but this is my partner. I chose to go through these hiccups with her. We're going to make it through this. There's that, which is very admirable. And then there's, I've been kicked in the head 50 times, but I'm, I'm still going to stick it out and I'm going to stick it out for the next 30 years. And then I'm going to be on my deathbed saying, man, I should have given up on that 30 years ago. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know exactly where that dividing line is, but it's there. And we've heard both. Um, yeah. And for- sometimes you can see it. I mean, sometimes oh, yeah. I can see, see it in just the, the simple conversations we have back and forth that you kind of know where this is going to go. Yeah. And it's just a matter of getting them to, to see it. And that's, you know, that's one thing that I, before we close this out uh, for anybody that does the one-on-one coaching with us and i can speak for myself i'm sure you as well i there's a lot of work that goes behind it on my part uh particularly when you start asking things about custody and and such it's such a vast area of of knowledge that i usually ask for a a quick summary and then i'll spend a, a good bit of time on my own reviewing and reading and trying to learn so when i come into that conversation i'm not just pulling things out of my pocket and mm-hmm. throwing them on the table it's it's actually uh i won't do that I, i'm not going to just answer a question or give you a, a, a hypothetical based off of no knowledge if i don't know i'll tell you hey i'll, I'll look into that and get back to you but uh that, that's what i try and bring to the table and i think also i one thing I noticed is that pendulum can swing way too far the other way too. And I'll, I'll read conversations about guys that that'll go the complete opposite. And I don't think that's what we're looking for. We're not asking you to be the dickhead of the household neither. And that's, that's something that you need to step back and realize that, yeah, okay. You found your balls, but don't go home and tell your wife to go fuck off. Yes. (laughs) That's, that's, that's not what we're asking you to do. Uh, we just want you to have that confidence that if, mm-hmm. if you need to, and, and what I mean by that is not say it, but actually do it. If you need to go fuck off, you're, you're comfortable doing that. And you know, you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. It's interesting working through these guys, watching them go through the process. And really it's all boils down to guys building a sense of worth and then recognizing it. And so many guys we've talked to put up with the most heinous, awful frankly abuse from their spouse for years <laughs> yes and it all boils down to us sitting why what is it about you that makes you stick around through all of this because 10 seconds right. into your story i'm out but you're yeah. you're still going 10 minutes later with 
more stories of more. abuse. And these guys just pile it on and, pile, and then she did this. And then she, oh, and let me tell you about this. And you're like, why? <laughs> and it all boils down to, I really just don't like myself a whole lot. That's why I'm still around. Absolutely. And, and then, that, that's where it is. Yeah. And then when they go through the process, the, the dead bedroom fix seems to be the, it, that's what lights the fire under their butt. And that starts the process of, let me build myself. And then they objectively look at themselves and say, I'm not that bad. You know what? Physically, emotionally, everything, it's clicking for me. I feel good. And then they look across the table at the wife and they go, I don't like her so much anymore. And we're, we're seeing, we're seeing that process on those, on the discussion groups on Facebook, which if you're a member of the fraternity, you get into the uh, private Facebook groups and uh, we're watching some guys that are really building themselves to a high, high level. And they're like, guys, I I just don't know if I want to do this anymore. I don't know if I want to come home to miss grumpy anymore. Uh, I don't know if I want to come home to this wife who treats me like a nuisance, who doesn't put any work into herself. And then there's the other extreme, which we have seen, which is guys that told my wife to fuck off and we're getting a divorce. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, welcome to marriage, right? It's a, yeah. there is, there is sacrifice to it. It's work. I don't care what anybody tells you. There's work involved in this. Um, and part of that work is I'm getting better and I'm going to put the work in to lead. And we're going off on a tangent here. I'm going to put the work into uh, leading you wife into getting better as well. And if you don't, I don't know. I don't think we, uh, I don't think we have a, a life going forward. And um, yeah, it's really tough for a lot of guys getting to that point, pulling the trigger if they have to deciding whether or not to pull the trigger. Am I being an asshole? Am I being just, uh, am I, am I just being impatient? Um, so those are all questions you have to answer for yourself and bounce it off of a group of guys who are all going through the same thing. And it gets huge. And that's what a lot of guys don't do enough of. It's like, hey, buddy, right. let's let's go out for a virtual beer online and and talk this through. And that's basically why I created the group because I'm in the same boat as you, which is the same boat as probably ninety percent of men. Which is, when I have my guy time, I enjoy it. But man, it's pretty rare, and I've kind of learned to live without it over the years. But when I have it, I feel energized. It's great. When you go out for that week every year with your guys, you come back probably be like, oh, that was so nice. Good to see Steve again. Good to see Bob connect to old times. That was wonderful. Wish I could do that more often. And then a whole nother 11 months goes by. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. That's, that's the norm for a lot of guys. It is. And that's it why is. I created the group, like the fraternity and the website is uh, we, we can't do this alone. It's just impossible. You got to go out and get help. No. And I, and I think, you know, I, I think the guys that are part of the fraternity and those who will hopefully join in the future are going to see some, some really cool things happening with this group. Um, I mean, it's just amazing where you've got it so far. And, and now with Jack and I coming on board, we've, we've already thrown around some, some really cool ideas behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And, and I've got, I know I've got a couple and Jack's got a couple and, and I, I'm just really, really excited to see where all this is in a, in a couple of years. Yeah. Bringing in some guest speakers. We've had, I mean, we've had Dr. Robert Glover. He's huge in our world. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Author of No More Mr. Nice Guy. We've had him on, I've uh, had him on the podcast. So um, yeah, we'll hopefully bring in more guys of that caliber and which leads into my next point. If you want to share this or not, but uh, you are talking of or beginning the process of starting law school, correct? I am. Yeah, I'm actually studying for my LSAT. I've, I've scheduled the date to take the LSAT in January. Uh, so hopefully I'll be prepared to start in August of next year. Awesome. 
Awesome. And what do you plan on doing with a law degree? Family law uh, with the focus on, on fathers. I know it, you can't necessarily build your practice specifically on fathers, but uh, I just want to be one of those attorneys that a, a dad walks into. He's going to realize that I, I understand where he's coming from. And you know, with, with the internet the way it is, I think you could build a practice on I cater to fathers for sure. You get them from all 50 yeah. states, I would assume, or maybe not. I don't know the laws involved. And if you're in Florida, if you can help out a person up in Maine, I don't know if that's possible, but we'll see why not. I, I think, you know, maybe more of a coaching style. Yeah, consultation. but from a legal aspect, you got to be licensed, you know, to practice law in each state or general yeah, area. So, but uh, yeah, there's definitely something that can come of that. I mean, that's it's just uh, the tip of the iceberg, I think, uh, for me. And, and right now, it's the focus is getting to the top of that mountain, and I can look down and see where exactly all that, that falls. That's and, wonderful. And where I can take it from there. Just think about teenage you and where you are in the football field getting in fights <laughs> yeah. to, to an attorney. I mean, that kid would have laughed at that, right? Yeah, there's a, you know, and I'll end this with there's a running joke that me and my mom still have. I've, I've never been invited to a, high school reunion because they probably think I'm either dead or in jail. That's right. That's right. So wow. <laughs> you should totally just show up, especially after the law degree. Yeah. One hand of these out, days, hand out some business cards. <laughs> they won't believe it. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Well, Hey, thank you so much yes, for thank putting you, us together. It was fun. I Alrighty. really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. You have a good one. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. If you're listening to this, you're probably a guy who is interested in self-improvement. You probably consume a lot of information, like these podcasts, YouTube videos, audiobooks, courses, everything you can to learn more and help you become the best man that you can be. And if you're like a lot of men, there's something still missing. Well, I can tell you what that missing thing probably is. Quality time with other men that are on the same mission as you. Some of you probably have casual relationships with your fellow soccer dads or the occasional beer with guys from the neighborhood, but none of them seem to be on the same page as you. Am I right? They seem content with their shitty marriages, their shitty jobs, and their expanding waistlines. They have all but given up. You find yourself talking to them about the same football teams, listening to their stories about their subpar home life, and you're getting to the point where you dread hanging around them. Well, the good news is that we have assembled a group of men just like you. We call our group the DSO Fraternity. We have live Zoom meetings that are hosted by yours truly, along with the other members of the DSO team. We have a very active private discussion forum, a Discord server for our lifetime members, a members-only podcast, access to my books in audiobook and PDF format at no extra charge, discounts on one-on-one coaching with myself, and other members of the team, discounts on our video courses, and access to our in-person gatherings. We have met in Nashville, Tennessee, Austin, Texas, Las Vegas, Australia, Amsterdam, and soon in New Orleans. So check it out, the DSO Fraternity at dsofraternity.com. We have monthly, annual, and lifetime membership options available. I think you will find our group is the missing piece of the puzzle that you have been looking for.